thank you for downloading this podcast from Gaimere Baptist Church. You can find out more about our church at our website, gaimerebaptist.org.au. May God speak to you as you listen. Well, good evening. It's good to see you here. It's nice to be here. I hope the HSC goes well for those of you. How many of you are here, even though you got HSC? Wouldn't have... All right. Well done. Well done. Well done. A few scattered hands, none of them shaking very much. That's always a good sign as well. Uh, I'm looking forward to the GLS uh, tomorrow and Tuesday. Um, big thanks, if, if you know them, Ben Martin, who cut all these bits and pieces out. David Beresford is on lights. The Wednesday Boys is a group of retirees who come in on Wednesdays, funnily enough, and uh, just help. Uh, they've spent heaps of hours kind of putting these things together, which has been great, and lots of other volunteers. After the service tonight, actually, we're going to need a little bit of help. Uh, because of the number of people we're going to have here, we're going to set up some tables. So if uh, you're kind of uh, into moving things around, we're going to need to kind of move the chairs out and put some tables out and get them set up for tomorrow. So if you can help out in that way, and then the many hands make light work, which is a proverb, funnily enough, and we're dealing with proverbs. How was that for a segue? Huh? Huh? If I had a mic, I would drop it, but I don't, so I just, you know, so, all right. Uh, We are dealing with Proverbs, and uh, when I was thinking about Proverbs this week, I began to think about how Proverbs are like science, and follow me on this one. Uh, I'm not much of a scientist, but as I thought about science, what, what science does for us, right, through observation and testing that's repeatable and all that kind of stuff, is it tells us things about our world that have implications then for how we live, right? Uh, so if you think about some of the discoveries of science, let me give you a couple of really obvious ones. Once uh, scientists made the connection between health, overall health, and hygiene, it changed the way we live, right? So for a, as a community of faith, in the last number of years, over the month of May, we have from time to time supported projects that are all about increasing the overall health of an area by increasing their hygiene, right? So either by uh, making sure that they've got toilets or making sure they've got clean drinking water or whatever it might be. For those of you who have been to Cambodia and have been to Heart of Hope, which is uh, it's a school in Cambodia for Vietnamese refugees who cannot attend the Cambodian schools, so they attend this little local school. Uh, if you've ever been there, one of the things that they teach these students is hygiene. They all kind of live in essentially a slum along the river, and so they teach them about hand washing and teeth brushing and all of those sorts of things. There's a connection. So health and hygiene, the connection between those isn't just an interesting fact, it actually changes our lives. When you think about what scientists have figured out about our immune systems and how immunology works, it leads to the practical application of getting vaccines and vaccinations and all of those sorts of things, right? So science is not just about observing the world and kind of going, wow, that's interesting, let's write an academic paper on it and be done with it. It's actually about trying to change the world. And and Proverbs, to some degree, are very, very similar, but they're kind of, they're science for the moral world. In other words, Proverbs are always based upon observation, just like science. They're based on repeatable patterns that happen again and again and again, just like science. They are testable. And so when you, um, if you, you think about the Proverbs, those little sayings that your dad or your mom or your nan or your aunt or whatever it might be has said over and over and over again, there's generally something truthful about them. But they're not just meant to be kind of interesting facts about our world. They're actually meant to change the way we live, to help us live more wisely. 
And so what I want to do tonight, as we have a look at this proverb in chapter 27, if you want to turn to it, is have a, have a think about it from the perspective of what it tells us about our world and what it tells us about how to live wisely. And then I actually want to think about it from a third perspective, which is the perspective of, of us as Christians and what that means. So the proverb that we want to look at tonight is in chapter 27, as I mentioned, and it's in verse 7, and it reads this way. One who is full loathes honey from the comb, but to the hungry, even what is bitter tastes sweet. One who is full loathes honey from the comb, but to the hungry, even what is bitter tastes sweet. Fairly simple contrast, isn't it? But it tells us something pretty important about our world. It tells us about how our world functions. On the one hand, you have those who are so full they loathe good things, right? Uh, you know, you've, if you've ever been really full after a, after a meal, you kind of go, no thanks on dessert, right? I don't want that really good thing that I would normally want. I'm just too full. Uh, it, it explains to some degree the law of diminishing returns, right? Which is uh, originally an economic theory that's been applied by psychologists to talk about our uh, performance and experiences, right? Where the value or enjoyment that we get from something starts to decrease at a certain point. All right, so we've all experienced this, haven't we? Um, new things are cool, aren't they? New things, whatever they might be, a new pair of shoes, a new shirt, a new app, a new phone, a new computer, a new television, a new car, a new job, new things are interesting, right? And they take up heaps of our time and imagination. We get a great deal of pleasure and joy out of them. But eventually, all things that are new become old, and they're boring, and they're dull, and we're no longer interested in them anymore, right? You probably have apps on your phone that you were very excited, played for hours and hours and hours, and haven't looked at for months and months and months. What's happened? Well, it's the law, it's kind of the law of diminishing returns. That which was really exciting and interesting and gave you a great deal of enjoyment and pleasure, over time begins to diminish. The one who is full loathes honey from the comb. But we also then have on the flip side, to those who are hungry, even that which is bitter tastes sweet. If you are hungry enough or thirsty enough, I mean, anything will do, right? Anything will do. If you are thirsty enough and someone says, listen, all I've got is lukewarm water, you will drink lukewarm water. You won't say, yeah, actually, I'm kind of holding out for some lemonade. Do you have some lemonade? I could really go with some lemonade. You've all seen those horrifying yet hopeful images when particularly children in famished and impoverished areas are given food by aid workers for the first time. Like it's horrifying because it's gotten to that state, but it's quite hopeful because they're receiving food. And you know what the food that they get? It's just some kind of like horribly nourishing gruel, right? You will never be able to go to a five-star restaurant and say, could I have some of that development aid gruel, please? Like it, that's, it's, not, it's not kind of high cuisine, is it? And, and the people who receive it don't care, do they? You don't see the kids who are starving to death say, actually, I was hoping for some cheese. Like, I, I could really go with some cheese. And I think I'll just wait until you have some cheese for me. They'll just eat whatever they get, right? And this is not just about food, is it? It's about any kind of appetite, any kind of hunger that we might have. Have you ever met someone or do you know someone who, for instance, is in a really bad relationship? And they're in a bad relationship because they really, really, really want to be accepted. And they think that perhaps this is the best shot I've got. And so they end up in a relationship that they really shouldn't be in, but they are starving. And so for them, even that which is bitter tastes sweet. 
So this tells us something about our world and kind of how it works. And that's all very important for us because it then leads on to the implications. If that's what it says about the world, then what does this say about the way of wisdom? How are we to live more wisely according to this proverb? And, and I think there's a couple of really important elements to it. On the one hand, I think it's important then that we, that we understand, appreciate, are aware of our own hunger, our own appetites. Again, thinking about food, I don't know if you've ever shopped hungry. You shouldn't shop hungry, right? Because what happens is you get home, you eat something, then you look in the bags and you look at, why did I buy all this stuff? I don't need any of this stuff. I need only half of this stuff. But you shopped hungry. Have you ever, uh, you've heard, well, you've all heard the phrase, or the term hangry, right? You are so angry, sorry, you're so hungry, you become angry, right? And so you are hangry. I don't know if it's an official word yet, but it's got to be sooner or later, right? The reality is our appetites, whether it's a physical hunger or a lack of sleep, for instance, can affect the way in which we respond to the world, right? If you're tired, if you're hungry, you're not at your best, right? You're just not at your best, and so it's important from this proverb for us to be aware of our appetites, to be aware of whether we are content, satisfied, full, and whether we are hungry, because they both have implications for our ability to enjoy good things. These, these two people in this, pro, in this proverb are both characterized by having a dull appetite. On the one hand... Those who are full and loathe honey do so. Their appetite has been dulled to good things because of overindulgence. On the other hand, we have a dulled appetite that's dulled by hunger and can no longer enjoy good things. And we'll just accept whatever it can get. And so it's pretty important that we recognize our appetite. How hungry are we for Success. How hungry are we for um, acceptance? How hungry are we to get ahead? Because if we are so hungry to be accepted, this sounds familiar, doesn't it? We can make really dumb decisions, can't we? We can end up doing things that really are bitter, but we think that they're sweet because we're so desperate to be liked, so desperate to be accepted, so desperate to fit in, so desperate to get ahead, whatever it might be. We see it all the time in our society. And can I just say, when you think about our society and this proverb, who do you think our society most associates with? The person who is full and loathes honey? The person who has had so much good stuff that good stuff is kind of meh? Or the person who's starving and will take whatever they can get? Kind of feels like this is more us, isn't it? We overindulge, we're immoderate, we do more and more, and we, we want to do everything all the time and right away. But I wonder if some of our overconsumption, if some of our um, desire to fill our lives with things isn't actually because we're trying to feed a hunger that we haven't identified as such. This, this proverb, I think, gets us both ways. Sometimes we can be the people who are full. We are so full of good experiences that we no longer want anything more, any, any more good stuff. We're like, we're, we're done, we're over it. But sometimes I think we fill our lives with stuff because we're so hungry, we're so desperate for something that'll satisfy us that we'll take whatever we can get. So it's important if we're gonna live wisely that we're aware of kind of how, we, how we're going. 
right? If you're learning to drive, or even if you've been driving for a long time, it's important to know if you're tired. If you're tired, have a break, right? That's the way of wisdom. It's not just kind of, you know, handy advice. Uh, it's helpful for us to stay alive. And to some degree, being aware of our own hunger, our own appetites, our own desires, what drives and motivates us is really, really important. But I think ultimately this is a proverb about moderation, isn't it? It's about basically not having so much of the good stuff that we no longer appreciate the good stuff because we've had so much good stuff, who wants any more? But it's also about avoiding being so desperate and so hungry and so empty that we'll be able to fill it up with whatever, whatever comes along. If you have your Bibles, have a look in chapter 30. Let me read a few verses from chapter 30. This is verse 7 to 9. The author says, Two things I ask of you, Lord. Do not refuse me before I die. Keep falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, Who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. That's Proverbs 27.7 put into a prayer. Right? You ever wonder how to pray scripture? That's it right? You take the proverb and you pray it, right? Lord, help me be moderate, right? Help me be moderate. Don't give me too much, because if I have too much, I may, A, disown you, as the, as the author says in, in chapter 30, or I might suddenly start thinking that the good things that I have aren't actually all that good. I might begin to take everything that I receive for granted. I might lose my sense of gratitude, and, and I might become entitled because I think I deserve more and more and more of the good. Keep me from that, Lord, and... Keep me from being so driven by my hunger, so driven by my appetites and desires and passions that I end up accepting what is bitter, thinking that it's sweet. This is a, a proverb about moderation. And I think it's fair to say, isn't it, that we need to apply that in our day-to-day -day lives. Our society is an immoderate one, right? We live to the max, right? That's the best way to live, isn't it? Live to the max, you know what the Proverbs say? It's not wise to live to the max. It might be great for Pepsi, but it's not actually very good for real wise living. Wise living avoids those kinds of extremes. Wise living is not trying to get everything you can all at once and wringing every single drop out of life. Because sometimes by squeezing every last drop, we can end up in a place where we're no longer interested in the good things. We take things for granted. We no longer have a sense of gratitude. And that is actually really important. When you think about these two people, the one who is full and the one who is hungry, neither of them are, are, are great examples, are they? Because neither of them have a, an appetite that is healthy, right? But if you had to compare the two and say, who, who is on the moral high ground? The person who's hungry and accepts what is bitter, or the person who is full and rejects what is sweet? Who has the moral high ground on that? And I reckon it's probably those who are hungry, isn't it? Can you really blame someone who is starving for eating gruel? Can you really say, oh, seriously, that's, you're better than that? You can't blame them for that. Can you really blame someone who makes a really dumb decision because they're so desperate to be accepted? It might not be a great decision. It's, I mean, it's not a great decision. It's unwise. It's foolish. But 
It's easier to let them off the hook, isn't it, than the person who has so much that they no longer appreciate the good. See, let me unpack the, the problem for you just a little bit. We don't think much of the analogy of honey, right? Because you go down to Kohl's or Woolies or whatever, and there's like 9,000 different types of honey. You're completely overwhelmed. You buy whatever's on sale, right? Because you're like, I have no idea, right? Honey for us is just nothing. And all of our food is sweet anyways, right? Everything that we eat is sweet. And so for us, we don't think so much about the significance of honey. But in the ancient world, honey was a luxury. It was the only natural sweetener that you had. And if you wanted sweet food, you needed honey. Uh, in a couple of places in Scripture, it is a gift fit for kings. Uh, Jacob sends his sons to Pharaoh, and part of the gift is a small jar of honey. Think about that. You're going to Pharaoh, take him a jar of honey. Seriously? Don't you want something good? Yes, take him some honey. That's the ancient world. Uh, uh, David receives a gift when he's king of honey. A prophet is given a gift of honey. It was a luxury item. And the word in, in the Hebrew... That's translated as loathes. So one who is full loathes honey from the comb. That word is more literally tramples on. In other words, someone is so full. They are so full. They've had so much that this is not actually a matter, as I said earlier, of saying, listen, I'm, I'm stuffed. I couldn't possibly have a mouthful. I'll wait until later. Let's watch the next half of the movie, and then I might have some room for dessert. No, this is the person who is so over it that they basically ruin it. They throw it out. They think to themselves, I can't pass, I don't want any more honey. Who wants any more honey and just throws it out? Now think about that from a social responsibility perspective because that's, that's kind of double, doubly culpable because I have eaten so much that I've probably contributed to your hunger and then I am throwing out stuff that you would love to have. I'm just getting rid of it. Who has the moral high ground? The person who is hungry, rather than the person who is so full, they just get rid of it. So it's important for us to live a life of moderation, because this is wisdom. This is how God created the world. This is the pattern, right? When people looked at the world in the ancient world, and, and we, see, we still hear about it today, of course, you, uh, you look at the world and you look at how the world functions, more often than not, success is found through moderation, not through doing everything to, with the volume turned up to 11. Moderation is wisdom because that's how God made the world. But there is a third perspective that I think is pretty helpful here. This proverb tells us about the world we live in. It guides us in how we ought to live, which is important. But there's also the perspective, shall we say, of faith or of the kingdom. I'm not sure if you think too much about heaven. We heard a little bit about it earlier and kind of the sense of you know, where Nathan is now and the impact of his life still on earth. But I don't know if you've ever thought about whether we're going to get a Bible in heaven. Like, is, are we all going to get, like, the version, God's version, right? Are we all going to get the same version, right, in, translated by him? Are we going to have Bible study? And, like, I, like, I don't know. I, like, I really don't know. Beats me. But I do know that some of the sections of Scripture will no longer be applicable anymore in heaven. This is one of them. Whatever Proverbs we cite, this one won't be one of them. Why? Well, because in heaven, our appetites will be redeemed and restored and renewed as they were meant to be. 
We will no longer have appetites that are dulled either by overindulgence or by being hungry. Can you imagine anyone in heaven being physically hungry? Again, I'm not sure if we'll eat, but can you imagine? Can you imagine someone being so desperate for approval that they make a stupid decision in heaven? That's, not, that's, not, that's kind of not the point of heaven, isn't it? So this, this proverb, this proverb will need to be transposed to a different key, to the key of the kingdom of heaven. And here's the, here's the really important part. We believe that in Jesus, the kingdom of heaven begins now. And so the question for us to grapple with is, what does it look like for those of us who are followers of Jesus to take this proverb and apply it in our lives? Yes, moderation is all well and good, but you know what we really ultimately need? We really ultimately need our appetites, our desires, our passions to be healed and restored and renewed and met in Jesus. That's what we need. And there's two parts to that, aren't there? On the one hand, we need our appetites and our passions and our desires, those things that motivate and drive us to be, uh, to, to be healed. And it's a, a really important theological perspective that we hold to, that Jesus was fully human. And the reason why that's so important is this. The early church fathers talked about it in this way. That which was not taken up by Jesus onto the cross was not redeemed. That which was not taken up was not redeemed. In other words, if Jesus died and just took our sins, that's very helpful, thank you very much, we can't handle our sins, so it's nice that those are dealt with, then that's redeemed. But if he didn't take up our humanity, then our humanity doesn't get redeemed. If he didn't take up our appetites, our appetites can't be redeemed. If our sexuality, if our emotions were not taken up on the cross, they cannot be redeemed. And we believe that Jesus has redeemed everything. So in our humanity, all of our desires, all of our motivations, all of our appetites that drive us, Jesus has taken those, nailed them to the cross in order that he might renew and restore them in each of our lives. That's what we need. But on the other hand, it's also worth recognizing that while they need to be redeemed, we also believe that Jesus ultimately fills all of our needs. That our need to be accepted is found in recognizing that we are his daughters and sons. That our desire for, for status and influence and purpose in our lives is found in participating with his plans and his purposes, finding our part in his story. We believe that our desire for security, which we so often seek to fill with houses and wealth and, and superannuation, all of those sorts of things, that our desire for security is found ultimately fulfilled and met in Jesus. And here's the thing. When our desires are fully met in Jesus, it changes the, the proverb. It completely changes the proverb. Here's how it changes. When I am fully satisfied and content in Jesus, when I am full according to the proverb, but I'm full, not with my own kind of chasing after desires, trying to fill my appetites. When I'm filled and content in Christ, I am free to take the honey that I may have received and pass it on to those who are hungry. Think about Jesus's life. Jesus came and what was his model of life? To lay down your life for others. He impoverished himself. He gave up all the good that he had for you and for I. 
He set aside his glory. He set aside his majesty. He became like you and I. He set aside all that set him apart, set it all down, laid it all down, gave it all up, became an impoverished person just like us so that you and I could become one with the Father again. How was he able to do that? Well, Jesus was full, wasn't he? He was full of the Spirit. He was full and content and satisfied in his identity as the Son of God. And so he didn't need glory and majesty. He didn't need all the good things of life to say that he was okay. He didn't need people telling him that he was okay. He didn't need people believing in him. He didn't need any of that stuff. All he needed was found in his relationship with his father. And once he was in that relationship, he was able to pass on all the good to us. And we are called to live the same life. So this proverb transposed to the kingdom of heaven, which begins now is this. Those who are full in Christ are able to pass the honey on to those who actually need it. We are free when we are found in Christ. We are free to live an immoderate lifestyle, but not immoderate the way we normally associate it with in time when I'm trying to fill my needs and I'm immoderate towards me, right? That's how we're mostly immoderate. I want more for me. And so my immoderation and the immoderation of our society and culture is focused on us. What can we get out of this? And Jesus flips it on its head and says, you know what? The lifestyle you're called to is an immoderate lifestyle, but one that is immoderate towards other people. To take the good things that have been given to you and to pass them to those who desperately need it. Not because they're not good things, not because you shouldn't enjoy them, but ultimately because you are content and no longer need the things of the world because you have found your purpose and meaning, significance and security in Jesus. This is a proverb transposed. And it's, a, it's an amazing vision, isn't it? A pocket tip for better living from the book of Proverbs, perhaps. We want to take some time to celebrate communion together. Do I need to do the math on this one, or is everyone with me? You, you see the connection? We remember, in the, taking a piece of bread and a, and a cup of juice, we remember that Jesus impoverished himself for us. We remember that he set aside his life for you and for me, and that he calls us to the exact same kind of life. One of the things that we've begun to practice as, as a community of faith in both our morning and evening congregations is to, is to try to respond to what we hear in, in, in a service. We, we believe that we're not here just to kind of tick some box and go, yep, did church, fantastic, well done me. Uh, we're here to hear from God. We're here to be changed by Jesus. We're here to be transformed into his image. We're here to listen so that we're ready for the mission that he's sending us out to during the week. And so the question I have for you is, how are you going to respond to what you've experienced and heard tonight? We've worshipped together. We've heard some pretty important stuff about how we welcome the Lord here, about how we want to turn our eyes towards Jesus. All right? We've heard some stories about how God's at work, and he's in work in really weird places. He's at work in people's death. He's at work in the death of a young man who wants to go into ministry. God's at work in that? How is that possible? He's at work in that. He hears 
random prayers in cemeteries. God's at work. And we've heard that we're called to an immoderate lifestyle for other people, but only if our desires and passions and appetites are satisfied in Jesus. And you can respond however you like, but let me suggest something. In a moment, I'm going to pray, and we're going we're to celebrate communion together. Can I encourage you to lay down before the Lord those appetites and desires and passions that you know are driving you whatever they might be. You may not have yet made a dumb decision. You may not yet have replaced something bitter for that which ought to be sweet. But those things that you know are driving you forward. And what I mean by laying it down is to simply name it before God. To say, Lord Jesus, this is the desire that I have. This is the appetite. This is the passion that drives my life. And I know that it's got a hold of me. And I want to ask you to heal it, to restore it, and to meet it with yourself. Make that your prayer. And when you have prayed that prayer, when you have brought that before him, whatever that might be, for acceptance, for security, for purpose, for meaning, for notoriety, whatever, when you've named that and laid that before him and asked him to both heal it and fill it, I want you to come down the front and grab a piece of bread, a cup of juice, return to your seat, and in your own time, take and eat and take and drink. And remember what Jesus has done for you, and what he has called you to. If you're visiting with us, you count Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you're more than welcome to participate. Uh, I've explained how we're going to do it, so when you're ready or when other people jump up, just kind of join the queue and grab a piece of bread, a cup of juice, and we'll take some time together to respond to what, what Jesus is inviting us into, a life of immoderation for others, based on the fact that our needs and our desires and appetites are fulfilled in him, that we might be full and pass the honey on to those who are in need. And if that's all too hard, just try to live more moderately, because that's wise too. So let me pray for us, uh, and uh, then we'll, we'll have some music played. He's got the nod from the desk, that's good, just saying it in faith, really. And uh, we'll just take some time. Uh, And once everyone's received, I'll come back up and lead us in prayer, and then we'll conclude our service together. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, uh, thank you that when you died um, for us, you did not just nail our sins to that cross. Uh, As important as that is and as wonderful as that is, thank you that you nailed our entire humanity to that cross, which means that all the nooks and crannies of our lives, our emotions, our sexuality, uh, our, our, uh, everything, it can be redeemed, it can be fixed, it can be healed, it can be straightened, it can be restored. And I would ask Holy Spirit that in this next little patch of time, that you would speak to us tonight, that you would um, bring to mind that appetite, that desire, that passion that motivates us that dulls our appetite for what is good. And I I pray that as we lay that down, you would begin the process of healing that, of restoring and renewing it, of untwisting and making straight that which is bent by sin. And I pray that you would begin to meet those needs in yourself, that we would find the fulfillment of our desires in you, and that in so doing, we would be set free 
to participate with what you are doing in the world around us. We pray that you would take this little piece of bread and this little cup of juice and that you would cause it to be for us spiritual food. And that as we reflect and pray and respond to you, that you would be at work in our midst. We ask this in your name. Amen.